Welcome to week 17 of 60 Weeks, 60 Books. The week of big, bad books. Bonk busters and bodice rippers with a special focus on Scruples by Judith Krantz. Looking back at school, although I am ambivalent about much of my education, one positive thing I remember about moving from prep school to Rodine was a huge sense of relief on discovering that where I had been very much the odd one out at prep school, at Rodine, I could slide under the radar in a particular way. At prep school, I was freakish and weird. I was half Pakistani, half English. I'd lived in the States. My grandparents lived in Spain. My mother worked. My parents were divorced. My uncle lived in Brazil. Not to mention the deep passion I had for books in a school where sport was the only true religion. But at Rodine, we all came from everywhere. There were certainly lovely Sussex and Surrey girls with parents who were doctors and bankers and insurance brokers and lawyers, but there were also Italians and Bolivians, Malaysians and Ghanaians, as well as English girls flying in from Hong Kong, Argentina, girls whose parents were Lebanese but who lived in Sierra Leone, Cypriots and Swiss and Swedish and Syrian girls. Having started my education in an international school, it was a relief to be back in an environment where, despite the many dramas and drawbacks of living in an all-female environment, we had the opportunity to learn from one another about life in many countries and cultures. But back to the books. Where there were girls flying in from all over the world, there were also airport novels entering school every term. Great fat books with ludicrous covers. These books were easy to read, so they circulated fast. Harold Robbins' The Pirate, Jacqueline Suzanne's Valley of the Dolls, Carrie by Stephen King, Love Story, The Thornbirds, Bloodline by Sidney Sheldon, The Story of O, which was totally ick, Go Ask Alice, Sweet Savage Love by Rosemary Rogers, Shanna and The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Woodowis, A Clutch of Early Jilly Coopers, Emily, Octavia, Bella, Imogen, And of course, Jackie Collins, whose The Stud and the Bitch also circulated. We were voraciously fascinated by these books, not just by the sex scenes, which of course were intriguing and bizarre, but by the depictions of extreme wealth, the glamour, the sense of peeking into adult worlds, but adult worlds far removed from our parents' nice, squeaky clean, straightforward, middle-class lives. And in 1978, Scruples landed. Scruples was something else, a rags-to-riches, shamelessly, proudly, self-indulgent celebration of money, consumption and glamour. Spoilers alert, the plot is as follows. It uses a Cinderella ugly duckling set of tropes. As a child in Boston, Wilhelmina Hunnanwell Winthrop is a poor relation, and worse, she is a fat poor relation. Known as Honey, abbreviated from her middle name, she is isolated, excluded, and overhears barbed slights throughout her childhood. Her father is distant, so an aunt steps in and funds a decent education, and then another relative gives her a timely $10,000, which, in 1962, sets her up in Paris for a year as a paying guest of an impoverished but very elegant member of the French aristocracy. 
In Paris, Honey loses weight, learns from her landlady both impeccable French and how to be chic. She returns to Boston as Billy and realises swiftly that she needs to get out of Boston. She escapes to New York, where she does a fancy secretarial course, finds herself a job at the HQ of Eichhorn Enterprises and ends up to the boss, Ellis Eichhorn, a multimillionaire. Nowadays, of course, he would be a billionaire. This is the setup, the preamble, and it is the part of the book that I best remember. The rest of the book involves Billy's search for purpose as her husband first becomes a permanent invalid and then dies. Established in the ranks of the super-rich in her mid-thirties, she needs to decide what to do with the rest of her life. And what she finally hits upon is to open an exclusive shop on Rodeo Drive. Meanwhile, there is a subplot involving a young man called Spider and a French woman called Valentine or Valentine. We get their backstories, how they all get together and create the shop. And the shop is called Scruples. Then Billy has to run through some rotters in her quest for true love, which she finds with a movie director of Italian heritage who looks like a Donatello sculpture, just like the rest of us. And the rest of the book is about whether or not he will win the Best Picture Oscar for his movie. Spoilers, he does. In between, there is intrigue, double dealing and plenty of steamy, explicit scenes where there is a bonk buster, there must be bonking. But what I think made the book so compelling for us was Krantz's tone of absolutely assured, sweeping generalisation. Krantz herself was a smart, hard-working woman. She went to Wellesley, spent 1948-49 in Paris doing fashion PR, and returned to New York, where she worked for good housekeeping, and then once she had married and started a family, writing freelance for numerous women's magazines. Her husband was a film and TV producer, So Scruples is set in the milieu she herself knew, and the narrative voice has the authority of an insider. In Beverly Hills, only the infirm and senile do not drive their own cars. After this opening line, there follow many further generalizations of the same sweeping nature about money, how the rich spend it, Boston family connections and snobbery, France and the French, along incessant lists of high-end cars, clothes designers, jewelers, shoe designers. We feel as though we are being infiltrated into a different world by an insider ready to give us a glimpse of this unattainable life. Billy herself is not a particularly appealing individual. In the modern parlance, I don't think many readers would find her that relatable. She is depicted as a huntress, a predator, at times something of a spoilt, wayward woman, at other times a perpetually controlling martinet. The other characters are skimpy, easily summed up in a phrase or two. Blonde playboy, red-headed Irish-French firecracker, ditzy movie star, slimy producer, tenacious journalist. This is the first of the books I've reviewed in this podcast that I simply could not finish as an adult. At 15, it did not exert quite such a compulsive pull on me as Gone with the Wind, but I did read it more than once. As a pudgy teenager, I was enthralled by Billy's transformation into a soigné, slim beauty, by her mastery of French, and the genuine passion she seemed to feel for her multimillionaire boss-turned-husband. But Krantz seems to me now almost unreadable. 
The rampant worship of labels and status symbols, the triviality of the characters, the depiction of a hollow world embodied in a glorified department store. Then there is Krantz's register with its arrogant certainty that the perspective of the narrative voice brings to its world or the super-rich is the only one worth listening to. Krantz's world became increasingly satirised throughout the 1980s. Jay McInerney's Bright Lights, Big City, Wolf's Bonfire of the Vanities, the movie Wall Street, a little later, American Psycho, all sought to uncover the rotten underbelly of extreme wealth in the United States. (laughs) But look where we are now. Kardashians all around, young women making their money from makeup and perfume, from skimpy underwear and peddling parodic, pornified versions of femininity and womanhood. The highly sexualised world of pop videos by stars like Cardi B, Nicki Minaj and Megan The Stallion seems to me a natural extension of the bonk buster and the bodice ripper. We, as teenagers, 40 years ago or more, raced through these books, absorbing tropes of women using their sexuality and often being abused for existing as sexual beings. And as we did so, Madonna paved the way for an uneasy and ambiguous deal between showbiz, the fashion and beauty industries and consumers, where the question remains, or perhaps is even bigger than it used to be, who exactly is using whom and to what end. The bodice rippers themselves were troubling, written at a time before questions of consent were common currency. Often they were full of forced seductions that now seem far closer to assault and in some cases outright rape. I only read one book by Rosemary Rogers, one of the queens of the genre in the late 1970s, and it was a catalogue of vividly described encounters that now young men and boys can see brought to life on free access websites, but which in real life should be more properly reported to the police. Even as a 15-year-old, I could not finish it and found even the less exploitative and less nasty novels horrible, phony and implausible depictions of relationships between men and women. Yet these books sold by the bucket load. Immured on our rainy, windy clifftop, it is understandable how and why a bunch of 15 and 16-year-olds were able to glom up these 700-page tomes so readily. In the days before total connectivity, with only three or four TV channels, there was little else to do other than read. (laughs) You might ask why we weren't reading Jane Austen and Dickens. Well, some of us were, in addition to reading the airport tomes. And of course we wanted to read books full of sex and drugs and rock and roll and all the things we had yet to experience, and indeed in some cases might never experience. Fortunately, we also had each other. Not only would we read the books, but we would share the juicy details, discussing whether, for example, strings of pearls or goldfish could realistically feature in the bedroom or boardroom in quite the way depicted. In talking about these books, we were able to come to shrewd conclusions about their fantastical contents, their disconnection to any form of life as we knew it. Little did we understand that the tropes they contained would appear on reality shows and in rich lists as standard and aspirational markers, a new form of bread and circuses. Next week, I will be returning with some relief to the elegant, mostly historically accurate world of Georgette Hare, 
and her many imitators, including me.